Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. What do you do when you discover that something has been broken? Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible. You know, do you get smoking angry? Do you look for someone to blame or maybe sit down on the floor and weep? Do you immediately accept it as reality and move on? Are you one of those types? Or do you maybe, after initially sort of freaking out, do you just immediately go online and start looking for a replacement? Do you try and fix it? What kind of person are you when you discover something's been broken? Well, I suspect it depends a lot on what's been broken and perhaps even the state of our mind at the time. But there's a deeper question here I want to ask today, and that is this. How do we respond when something breaks in our lives? How do we respond when we witness brokenness in the lives of people around us, in the world? We receive a cancer diagnosis, or someone in our family does. Or we receive news that a nephew or a friend has lost a job. Maybe we are experiencing profound angst over these ongoing pandemic restrictions. Perhaps it's a surprising divorce that occurs. Or the news of domestic violence. Or... Yet another revelation that some celebrity in Christian culture has been now exposed for moral failure or sexual abuse. Your kid is making dangerous decisions. You begin to see again and again the deep fracturing that's happening in the church, into political camps, ideological camps, or maybe your own mental health or the mental health of someone that you love is crumbling? How do you respond when something breaks in your life or when you witness that breaking in the lives of others? I could go on. The list, of course, does go on. When faced with brokenness, followers of Jesus experience a profound tension. I know I do. Because of Jesus, we affirm That God is good. That he's good all the time. That his goodness never changes. And we want to keep affirming that. And yet, evidence is overwhelmingly conclusive that evil is real and pervasive and continues to wreak havoc in the world. There's tension. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, we affirm that, New creation 
has come, that the old has passed away, that God is working now for the renewal of all creation through Jesus, our Messiah, and yet suffering, awful, aching, sometimes unspeakable suffering persists. There's tension in there. It's in between these unquestionable realities that we live our lives. So how do we respond in that tension? How do we respond to evil? How do we respond to suffering, to injustice, to loss? What do we do in the face of lives being shattered? Well, the biblical witness is clear. We must lament. We must lament. Tess Mawson has already set us up beautifully, inviting us into lament. And during these six weeks of Lent, we're going to keep issuing that same invitation to enter the pain, to sit with the loss, to lament the brokenness that we experience and that we witness, to lament it in the name of Christ and for the sake of the world. Lament is not overly familiar to us, both as a culture more broadly, but even within the Western church, we don't really know how to lament. It's not something we do a lot of. And yet, we've all experienced loss and sorrow in our lives, losses that need to be lamented. And we witness lamentable evil and injustice going on around us in the world. As the body of Christ, we're called to mourn with those who mourn, to cry out on behalf of those who are suffering. We are called to lament. And so, as we begin this series, I want to lay a foundation, a few of the aspects of lament that I believe will help us, will provide a bit of a framework as we both learn about lament and as we lament together. So what is lament look like? I want to point out five directions that lament takes. Five directions of biblical lament. The first is that lament rages out. Many of the Psalms in the Bible feature lament. And what we discover is that raw, raging honesty is a fundamental element of lament. Psalm 13.1 opens up, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 88, we hear, For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. Lament is bold about what is broken. Lament is honest about what is wrong. As Tess said, lament is a reaction to the absence of God's shalom. Reminds me of that old Chris Rock movie where Chris kind of surprisingly becomes the president and he runs his whole presidential campaign on the platform, it ain't right. It's kind of a funny movie, but every, every time he gets a chance, Chris Rock in the way that Chris Rock probably only can, will shout, it ain't right. And that's lament. 
It ain't right. Which can be hard for us, actually. Both for us to express it and hard for us sometimes to hear others express it. Too many times we're uncomfortable with that kind of rage, the kind of anger that's needed when injustice is being perpetrated or when we have been devastated by loss. We either dodge those powerful emotions because maybe we're afraid of them. We try maybe quickly to de-escalate what could be very righteous anger about something that has been broken. But biblical lament rages out, out loud, very honest, and often uncomfortably. It names what's broken, and it makes no apologies for that clarity. Which leads us to the next aspect of lament. And that is that lament lingers on. Lament extends. To truly lament means that we don't rush in to fix it. We don't try to just move past it as quickly as we can or force others to. We don't ignore the loss, but rather we sit with the pain that we wait in the suffering. Again, uh, from the lament of Psalm 88, we hear, Oh Lord, I cry to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. From the weeping prophet Jeremiah, we hear, If only my head were a pool of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night for all my people who have been slaughtered. Lingering in lament is critical for our own experience of loss. That we don't rush past the process, but rather that we embrace the lament. We allow the disappointment, the injustice, the difficulty to work its way through us. To even attend to the voice of God himself in that pain, enlarging our own hearts and minds as we experience that loss. And sometimes, depending on the depth and the severity of the loss, that lament will continue perhaps indefinitely. I think of friends of mine, I think of Wade and Aubrey Beliski and their daughters who were recently killed in the helicopter crash. I think of my other friends, the bots, who lost their three daughters in a terrible farm accident. I think of their lives often because I think that kind of lament lingers. There's a lament there that they will carry, that their families and their friends will carry for the rest of their lives. Lament lingers on. Far too often, we want to refocus our attention, maybe everyone's attention on the solution. We, we want the person that we love to stop feeling pain, which is understandable, of course, but we can short-circuit what's happening. We, we don't want to keep crying out or feeling the sorrow that we ourselves are experiencing. But friends, lament lingers, and it needs to very likely 
considering how little and how poorly we often lament in our culture, that we will need to lament a little longer than we think we should, (laughs) a little longer than we'd like, a little longer than we would consider even perhaps normal. And we will certainly need to let others lament for the time they need to, maybe more than we would normally be comfortable with. Yes, we recognize people can get stuck in grief and loss. The famous story of Queen Victoria, the loss of her husband, who never ever moved beyond the loss and continued to have his clothes laid out each evening and continued to have wash water brought into his bedroom years after he was gone. Yes, it is possible to get stuck in grief and lament. But in our culture, we usually force people to move way too quickly past it. Recently, I was connecting with a man who is experiencing, in the middle of experiencing deep loss, and he told me quite bluntly, a friend had just told him the other day, oh, get, get over it, buck up. You're just feeling sorry for yourself. Friends, lament lingers. And we need to be willing to slow down our own reactions to lament and others who are in lament. We need to sit and listen and hold and simply be with those who are suffering Mourning with those who mourn, not, not rushing what should not be rushed. Well, as we rage out, as we linger on in lament, we come to understand that lament reaches back. That's the third direction that lament takes. You see, lament sits within a long tradition within our big story, the story of God's people, from the lament of the children of Israel under the oppressive regime of Egypt, crying out to the Lord and and, and he rescues them, to their repetitious laments, the cyclical thing that's going on in Judges where they're constantly getting in trouble and crying out to the Lord and he rescues them in the period of the Judges, as well as the many laments that emerge from the life and the trials of King David and others. The most pronounced laments in the Old Testament story that we inherit are from, is from the devastating exile of God's people when Jerusalem was destroyed and they're shipped off to Babylon. In the book of Lamentations, along with other writings, they lament the tragic destruction of God's chosen. Our lament today reaches back to that story of suffering. It also reaches back to the sufferings of Jesus, our Messiah, as he suffered for us, as he cried out in pain, as he endured the excruciating loss on the cross, as he himself cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we're going to keep coming back to Jesus and his suffering because the lament and suffering of Jesus Christ frames for us our own lament now. Our lament also reaches more recently down through church history as we recognize that We lament along with brothers and sisters who've experienced pain and suffering historically and even now. Some of them we know about, some of them we don't. We join their lament. What we notice, however, as we rage, as we linger, as we reach back, is that we're also reminded in that same movement, the God who was faithful then is going to be faithful to us now. We realize that our laments echo together. But we see through that, God is faithful through the suffering. 
So reaching back helps us step forward into the next direction of lament, the fourth direction, which is that lament points toward. Uh, When you sweep through the biblical laments from the Psalms to the prophets to Jesus Christ himself to the martyrs under the altar depicted in Revelation chapter 6, we notice something very striking. Lament, biblical lament at least, points toward God. I don't mean that lament isn't at times just an uh, inarticulate groaning or shouting to the wind. It feels like it's raging into the void. That very much can be how it feels, the experience of lament, especially at those critical moments. I don't mean that we're always aware of it or always able to articulate it, especially when we're deep in its grip. But laments, the laments that we see framed through Scripture, through the story of God's people, through Jesus Christ himself, always have an orientation toward God. From the very darkest of the lament psalms, Psalm 88, the one lament psalm that ends not happy, not with any resolution, it begins with, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry to you by day. I come to you at night. And then after detailing brutally how bad life is. The same psalmist concludes with, I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Our fierce anger, your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They engulf me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. But did you hear it? Even in that lament, even in that darkest of psalms, it's directed toward God. This might be perhaps why lament is so difficult for some of us because we're kind of afraid to express ourselves honestly to anyone, perhaps, but certainly toward God, to tell God this is wrong and I'm upset and you need to do something about it to really tell him what needs to happen or what's continuing to happen with no sign of change. Biblical lament, in all of its raw, unflinching honesty, faces us toward God. To the God who does hear, who does act, even if at times, often, it feels like he is silent and absent and uncaring. Lament, as it unfolds in the story of God's people, it turns us toward God. It turns us toward Jesus Christ. And it cries out from a place of pain toward him. Lament rages out, lingers on, reaches back, and points toward calling. From Psalm 44, Wake up, O Lord! Why do you sleep? Get up! Do not reject us forever! Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? And that sets us up for the fifth direction of lament. Lament strains forward. Lament, even in its most desperate cry of dereliction, demands for a response. It cries foul about what has been broken. And in that, it is straining forward to what 
must come, to the change that must occur. This is wrong, but there must be a right. Because we cannot frame biblical lament without filtering it through the death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lament must always reckon with what will be because of Jesus. Paul himself in Romans 8, the same context we talked about creation's groaning and our groaning, the Holy Spirit's groaning from within us, reminds us that present suffering, all the things that we lament from, present suffering will be outstripped by future glory. That even as we lament, we hope. Sometimes it's a desperate hope. Sometimes it's a defiant hope. But it is hope nonetheless. But we need to be careful with this. Really careful. Because we have such a tendency to minimize lament, to move so quickly forward, to to move to optimism, to immediately start suggesting solutions, or maybe even just denying that this is as bad as everyone thinks it is, because that's our cultural tendency. We must not misuse true biblical hope to diminish present suffering. We must not do that. Racism is real and must be lamented. Even as we declare that there is a day coming when people of every tribe and nation and tongue and language will worship together as the one body of Christ. Violence is horrific and must be lamented even as we strain forward to that time that has been promised when the machines of war will be reforged into farming tools. Death must be mourned. Sickness must be lamented, even as we affirm the overcoming of sickness and death in the life and death of Jesus Christ. So we don't force hope. We don't diminish the lingering or downplay the raging. Straining forward for hope is not about just slapping on a happy face over top of a dark loss. It is, however, something that comes from the Spirit who groans within us, assuring us that however dark the day becomes, however gross the injustice, however immeasurable the loss, there is coming a day when death will take its final breath as it passes away. And so we strain forward in our lament, anchoring our present pain, our present cry in the assurance of the future glory, believing because of Jesus Christ, believing what it oftentimes might seem to be against all odds that we, like Jeremiah in Lamentations, declare God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. That along with the author of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never leave us or forsake us. In order to bring all this together, 
all these directions, these five directions of lament. I'd like to offer you a classic lament psalm. But instead of reading it for you, I'm going to sing it. I'm going to sing Brian Dirksen's rendition of Psalm 13. And as I sing this for you, I want to invite you to soak in this lament. Perhaps to let your own pain connect with this song. Or to let the pain of this song enter into your own heart and be expressed through you. Your own pain and loss, as well as the pain and the loss that we witness in our world. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long, O Lord, will you look the other way? How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long, O Lord, will you look the other way? How long, O Lord, must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have such sorrow in my heart? Look on me and answer, O God, my Father, bring light to my darkness before they see me fall. Yes, my heart will rejoice 
still I sing of your unfailing love. You have been good, but I trust in your unfailing love. Yes, my heart will rejoice, still I sing of your unfailing love. You have been good, you have been good to me. So how do we respond when we experience loss or witness brokenness in the world around us? The five directions of biblical lament make it very clear that lamenting in the face of evil, suffering, loss, is a holy and a right response. A necessary response. To be God's spirit-filled people in this fractured world, we must lament. But there's one truth that we need to remember as we do. And this is critical for us because I think it makes all the difference. We do not lament alone. First, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share in our lament God himself entered into our suffering through Jesus Christ and now comes to participate in our sufferings by the Holy Spirit. And this is a profound truth that we find in passages like Romans 8 where we're told that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. You could even say we do not know how we are to lament. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Romans 8, 26. And not just the Spirit, but Jesus himself, our great high priest, he understands our suffering. He understands how brutal it is, how difficult life can be. He understands loss and disappointment and suffering and anger. And so in Hebrews 4, all of our trials and suffering are caught up in Christ. We read this, so then, since we have such a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive 
his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God not only shares in our lament, but he welcomes it. And we can stride boldly into the throne of our gracious God and get the mercy and the help that we need. We are not alone in our lament. Our God shares it with us. But also, as members of the body of Christ, we share and lament together. We join each other in lament. We're called to lift up each other to Christ, to weep with each other as we are experiencing loss, to cry out together for justice for the oppressed, to rage together because of the suffering and the pain that continues to destroy children or women or men, to do that together for each other and for the world in the name of Jesus Christ. We do not lament alone. So how do we conclude today? What's our response? You know, the message today sets us up for the next number of weeks, the five ne- next five weeks of Lent, as we're leading up to Passion Week, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. And we're going to lean in these next few weeks into the pain and the loss. We're going to learn to lament together. We're going to explore a range of areas that will intersect with our lives and the world around us and our need to lament. Next week, Cheryl Hambry is going to lead us in lamenting loss. And I'm really looking forward to that and all she has to share with us. And so for this week, I want to offer you two next actions practical ways that will help you fully engage this love and Lent series. The first is to ask this question, what must we lament? I challenge you this week to perform a sort of lament inventory. Where are the places? Who are the people? Where must we lament? What are the things that are going on in our own lives? Things going on in the lives of friends or family or our neighborhood. Things going on in the broader culture, in the church, in the world, that we must lament. These are lamentable things. Make a list. Ask the Spirit to guide you as you do. Make that list big and broad because there is much to lament. I challenge you to take time this week and to write a list of what we must lament. I think the Spirit will expand our own hearts and minds in that process, and it will help us going forward. The second is to actually take this week time to read the book of Lamentations. It's short, but it's deep. It's poetic. It's raw. The book of Lamentations is this extended cry of sorrow from Jeremiah over the destruction of Jerusalem and over the devastation and exile of God's people. It happened 600 years before the coming of Christ. But I invite you to read this lament. It's a book that many of you probably haven't read much. To read it, to soak in it, and let the Spirit work in you as you do. These will help us as we move forward, grow in our experience and our knowledge of lament. Lament is holy. Lament is right. Lament is necessary. And God is calling us to join the love, 
He has. The love he's revealed through Jesus. The love he is continuing to reveal through the Spirit to join his love for the world in this season of Lent, knowing that we do not lament alone. We lament, to, we lament together with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and with each other, knowing that however dark things may become, our laments are caught up and brought forward as we are heard and assured of God's everlasting love. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that even in the darkest moments of our lives, as we stare in the face the suffering and brokenness in our world, we can lament with honesty, with rage, with heartache what is wrong in this world. And you hear us. And I pray right now for each one who is watching church online, who's participating in this way. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us lament, help us engage your heart cry for the world. Help us to be more honest about our own losses and our own pain, but also more attuned to the pain and suffering of the world that you love. I pray that through this Lent series, you would expand our hearts as we lament and offer that to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.